time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Today we are reacting to the news that DeMarcus Ware is officially on Denver's coaching staff. We're sharing our immediate and key takeaways from Denver's OTAs. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. We took a week off, everybody, but we are back. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it is that time on the NFL calendar, the time that we all dread. It's finally arrived, that drought between the end of OTAs and the beginning of training camp. So tell us, how are you consoling yourself with literally zero football activities taking place that you can analyze? Well, Chad, it's kind of bittersweet for me. On one hand, I like the fact that we have a little downtime after working many months straight. But on the other hand, it's bad for business. There's just nothing going on right now. It is the deadest point of the NFL calendar, and you will not see much, if any, football-related talk until late July. So it's kind of a, a bittersweet thing, but we'll be able to get by for sure. We'll get by. We'll continue to find interesting topics uh, that we can spitball both on the podcast and, of course, on the website. And for those of you listening, I mean, if you have any ideas, things that you want us to cover during this dead time where we can kind of spread our wings a little bit, dive maybe even a little bit deeper, whether it's in the podcast form or written, let us know. We'll see if we uh, can accommodate you. But follow the show, you guys, on Twitter. Thousands and thousands of you listen to this show every single episode. And yet the Twitter account only has like 550 followers. So help us correct that, you guys, and make sure you take some time, however you're listening to the show, to leave a creative review. doesn't matter if it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, the YouTube guys, shout out to all you, Google Play, wherever. It's a, it's a great way to support the show, helps us to reach new listeners. Take a second, leave a creative review, rate the show. And then one last piece of business, we got to say thank you to our sponsor of today's show, Audible. You guys go out and get yourselves a free audio book download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether it's an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, audibletrial.com slash huddle up. As you guys know, this is something that I use on a daily basis because I'm a voracious reader, and yet I don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that I want to read. But Audible allows me to get these books under my belt while I'm doing other things, whether I'm driving around, I'm in the yard, I'm at the gym, and you love listening to podcasts, I guarantee you'll also really dig Audible. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, sign up for the 30-day free trial, you get a free book to go with it and then come back and let us know how you liked it. All right, so instead of waiting until the end of the show to hit the mile-high mailbag, we thought we'd take it at the top for a change because we are your football priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions, but we're switching it up because one of the questions we received this past week really touches on a topic that is not only interesting, it's pressing, it's important, but it deserves a deep dive. And this question comes from Sarah Chang on Twitter, at Sarath underscore Chang. The question is, why didn't the Broncos hire a full-time outside linebackers coach? And how can this affect Bradley Chubb's development? Now, Zach, before I serve this up to you, let me just say a few things. One, the Broncos, of course, for those that missed it, officially hired DeMarcus Ware last week as a part-time pass rushing consultant. Now, the plan of which VJ has explained to us, Vance Joseph, is for where to kind of swoop in, coach for a couple of days here and there, be at the facilities, be around for the home games, uh, game prep, I would assume, stuff, and then presumably spend a good chunk of time at Dove Valley for training camp. Now, my take on this is that any DeMarcus Ware coaching you can get, you take it, right? It's a great asset. But Chang brings up a great point here. A little D-Ware, yeah, it's better than no D-Ware, but is it enough? Let us not forget the Broncos have three first-round picks at outside linebacker in Von Miller, Shane Ray, and now the number 5 overall pick, Bradley Chubb. 
Now, I understand the argument. I've heard it already that because it's such a talented group, they don't need necessarily a full-time coach. But to that, I say hogwash, okay? Let me ask you this. Would you draft Baker Mayfield number one overall and then not give him a full-time quarterback's coach? Would you draft Von Miller number two overall and not give him a full-time position coach? You would not. Okay, so it's a very unique, weird situation. And as we've discussed on the show, we've written about it on the site multiple times, Denver's plan for splitting up the outside linebackers is a little bit curious between Bill Kalar on the D-line and Reggie Herring with the off-ball linebackers. But now D-Ware gets injected into that equation, and I think the Broncos, Zach, are hoping that it's going to be enough to, to bridge the gap and kind of bring this whole thing together. But to answer Chang's question, Zach, why do you suppose Denver did not hire a full-time outside linebackers coach, and how could it affect one Bradley Chubb? It is definitely a very interesting scenario not having a full-time coach for your top five overall pick, the number five overall pick in Bradley Chubb. But what Vance Joseph has done, he's really um, split up the coaching duties all along his new roster. That's kind of been his thing in year two now, is to divvy up the duties. You saw it in the secondary. They have a new cornerbacks coach. Uh, to go with their safeties coach. Greg Williams is a new coach there. They have a new offensive line coach in Sean Coogler. He's coaching interior offensive linemen, guards, and centers. So D-Ware, it's a great asset to have, yeah, but I would I would have liked the fact of replacing Coach Pug after the season. He was one of the coaches let go. Yep. And they never and, and Vance Joseph said right away, he's not going to be brought back. They're not going to hire an OLB coach. They're going to hire a pass rush consultant. And after many months, I guess, of negotiating and back channel talks, they brought in the best guy for the job into Marcus Ware. Now, would I have liked it to be a full-time coaching position? Sure. We don't know why, though, it wasn't. We don't know the specifics behind his contract. Maybe he didn't want the responsibilities. Uh, he didn't want the game plan that goes along with it. We don't know. We'll never know. Um, but I think based Based on his presence, and you have Von Miller there, and you have probably the best defensive line coach in Bill Kohler, I think that's good enough to get by with Bradley Chubb. I think they'll be okay there in terms of his development. This is a guy who is the best defensive prospect in the entire NFL draft. You're getting a day one contributor right off the bat. I wouldn't say he needs a ton of coaching, though I would like a full-time coach because he is transitioning from defensive end to OLB, which is not an easy move. Just ask Marcus Walker last year. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's going to affect him too much, but I think the more DeMarcus Ware, as you said, the better you can get for Bradley Chubb. We'll have to see how it plays out. And you're right. You know, we can't know for sure exactly the reasons why Ware is only here on a part-time basis. Uh, we can we can infer possibly why through some of the things that he said when he was made available to the media that day that it was announced that he had officially been hired. And just reading between the lines, you know, he talked a lot about his schedule and not having to, you know, having time with his family and doing all. And so obviously that was a priority to DeMarcus Ware that he wanted to balance also with his passion uh, for football and still wanting to be in the mix a little bit on top of the opportunity that the Broncos were offering him. And, you know, I've, I wrote about this many times. Had the Broncos not hired some sort of expert at the outside linebacker coach position, I would have been extremely concerned about the number five overall pick, Bradley Chubb. That was a sincere area of concern for me. But even having him on, an, on a part-time basis, I would assume he's going to be engaged enough and present enough to – do the you know to coach Chubb in the, and the other guys for that matter in the way that he need, they need to be coached not just from a technique perspective but keeping guys motivated. My biggest question we talked a little bit about this Zach off air before we started tracking here, but he talked about Vance Joseph talked about that where's going to be available for home games. Okay, well that's eight games on a sixteen game schedule. What are the Broncos going to do when they're on the road and? So, you know, you see him on the sidelines, right? When the defense leaves the field, offense goes on. You'll see the defense on the on the sideline getting coached up by their position group. You'll see him going through cut-ups of plays. You'll see him looking at little film shots and all that. You'll have coaches saying, hey, man, on that third down, you took too wide of an angle or, you know, your hand technique was a little off here or maybe you should have thought about doing this type of a move. And on home games, great. He's probably going to be there, be available for those type of in-game adjustments, motivation, you know, technique, strategy, all that. But what's going to happen when they're on the road? And that's when we're going to really find out whether or not this was 
the right decision as an organization to, you know, it's great for the fans bringing in D Ware, but is it going to make the sausage? You know, that's that's still a question that is yet to be answered. But again, some D Ware is better than no D Ware. Yeah, and the onus does fall on Reggie Herring and Bill Culler. Yeah. They're two of the best position coaches in the NFL, and Von Miller is actually working working with those coaches in that room. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic. It's not very common. They're kind of going unorthodox with this setup here. But you have Von Miller, who learned from DeMarcus Ware. He took the torch from Ware, and now you have Bradley Chubb taking the torch, hopefully, from Von Miller. So it's kind of like the, the way of life in the NFL. It's a circle of life. Yeah. I, and, I, and the only reason, I think, this is my opinion, the only reason they brought in DeMarcus Ware was to coach up Bradley Chubb. Mm-hmm. You don't need to teach Von Miller anything. You're not going to teach Shane Ray much. They already played together. Shaquille Barrett. This was for Bradley Chubb, and it was a great move by Vance Chubb. It was a no-brainer move. I would have liked him to be full-time, yeah. but I hopefully uh, what he can teach between now and the regular season can carry over where Bradley Chubb can ride with, without the, the training wheels. You know, one thing you think about Von Miller at this stage in his career, in his prime, I mean, aside from winning Defensive Player of the Year, there's no individual or team accolade this guy doesn't have on the resume. I mean, he's been to the top of the mountain in almost every sense of the word. So you don't have to worry about his technique. You don't have to worry about his get-off. You no. don't have, but here's one area that I do think that DeMarcus Ware is in a unique position to be able to coach Von Miller, and that's from an accountability, motivational, uh, tempo, are you really giving us 100% on your motor type of perspective. Like, you know, maybe it's a third down and he didn't quite see the effort. Some coaches might be – a little bit intimidated to get too much up into Von Miller's grill, not in like a drill sergeant way where you're seeing DeMarcus Ware, you know, chew him out or anything, but rather right. having the wherewithal and also that dynamic of respect between Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware for DeMarcus Ware to be able to come in and say, hey, man, Von, dude, that play, that, that wasn't Von Miller. Come on, man, let's step it up. He can do that, and in that sense, I think it's something that can help keep Von Miller a little bit more centered, a little bit more accountable, that perhaps even last year when things started going off the rails for the Broncos, you know, Von Miller finished with 10.5 sacks. He was still a great force if you look at the pro football focus metrics in terms of pressures. I mean, he was among the best in the NFL as usual, but the sack totals really weren't there. 10.5, at least he got to double-digit sacks, and that's great. But there, you didn't see any of those game-changing plays that you're accustomed to seeing from Von Miller. Who knows exactly why? There's a lot of situational variables that probably went into that. However, you've got to wonder how effective Coach Pug was at that point. Was he at a point in their relationship, having been there, I think it was his third season, coaching the outside backers, but the first season without DeMarcus Ware being a part of that equation, did he have the wherewithal to get after Vaughn if he wasn't seeing the type of effort that he wanted to see? Because there were times. I mean, you can go back and look at some of the film. There's times where Von Miller blows off the ball and, you know, almost makes a play, and it's like, man, he was so close. And there's other times where he would just get kind of hung up, and you, you do wonder about motor or whatever when the Broncos are down two or three scores, right? So now with DeMarcus Ware in there, he's a guy who can step in at the very least, Zach, and say, let's go, man. Let's go. It doesn't have to be some big public display. It doesn't have to be a drill sergeant up in a guy's face. But he does have that that posture with their relationship, the the master and the Padawan, to call call Vaughn out if it if necessary. Yeah, there's a relatable factor there, and it's they have an interesting relationship. And Von Miller greatly respects Demarcus Ware. That's his, that's his teacher, and he's been the student, and he's going to hold him accountable. It's a great point that you made because Von Miller is among the probably the best pass rusher in the NFL with respect to Khalil Mack, and not a lot of coaches would want to coach him up directly. And and if anyone he would listen to would be DeMarcus Ware. And it sets a good example, just like when Von Miller skipped OTA practice, we made a kind of a big hullabaloo about that, that it didn't set a good example for the younger players. And and maybe that's something that Bradley Chubb saw from Von Miller. You don't want to set that negative example. Mm -hmm. Anything you can help to do Bradley Chubb in his first year, mentally and physically on the field, uh, can only benefit him. So it's there's no bad areas to DeMarcus Ware being back in the fold. You and I both can agree we would like to see him on a full-time basis. Absolutely. Well, and one last thing I want to say on this topic that's very interesting is, you know, we don't know exactly how far into the conversation Chad Brown got in terms of being one of the options 
for the Broncos were considering for this position. Uh, but one thing that he has said publicly multiple times, because he is a guest host with 104.3 The Fan, so many of you might have even heard him say this before. But he talked about when he did his last internship program, I think it was last summer, uh, with the New York Jets, Todd Bowles there, the head coach. Uh, he was, you know, one of the parting thoughts that uh, he was given from Bowles was that when it comes to coaching, because you see a lot of coaches out there who never played that position, and some in some cases guys who never even played football, that's a little bit more rare, but coaching positions that they did not play, right, as players themselves. And Todd Bowles, uh, and again, this is something Chad Brown, a story he tells, Todd Bowles said that of all the positions in the NFL, the one that absolutely requires a player who has played that position is stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. So that's a guy who knows what he's talking about. He is one of the sharpest defensive minds in the NFL, and Todd Bowles, he's in a little bit of a beleaguered situation there with the Jets. Uh, but what we can infer from that is that the Broncos recognize that as well, right? So they wanted to bring in someone, whether it was a Brown or in this case, obviously their, their top uh, candidate was DeMarcus Ware, who can apply his practical experience to not only the teaching aspects, but also when they're out on the field, like Bradley Chubb was talking about this last week in one of his uh, interviews, he talked about the fact that they've been studying some film together as a unit and that DeMarcus Ware will point out things, right, from an opponent, whether it's the way an offense is set, whether it's some kind of a tell that the tackle's given off, that none of the guys, including Von Miller, picked up on, and he'll point it out. That comes from the practical experience of being the guy rushing that passer, and that could pay some immense dividends for the Broncos in that sense. But again, you got to wonder what's going to happen when this team goes out on the road. You know what I mean? I don't know. Hopefully the film will be there enough that where they can diagnose the issues and they can kind of leave Chubb to his own devices. But I don't know what they're going to do. They have, like I said, a big onus on the other coaches on that defensive side of the ball. Yep. And there was a report that came out, speaking of Chad Brown, that the Broncos were interested in several other NFL players, former NFL players. Mm-hmm. And I have to think Brown was among that mix. It just made too much sense along with DeMarcus Ware. But you don't you don't forego the guy who helped you win a Super Bowl, who's a future Hall of Famer. Right. And what's nice about this from a, a selfish standpoint is the Cowboys wanted DeMarcus Ware. They wanted to hire him in the same role to coach up to Marcus Lawrence, their star pass rusher. Right. So it's nice that the Broncos beat his original team to the punch, and they have him under contractual obligation, however brief it may be, for the entire season. Yep. By NFL rule, he is prohibited from coaching any of the other 31 NFL teams as you know an actual employee under contract with the Denver Broncos, but it's got to be cool. I mean, one of the coolest stories behind DeMarcus Ware coming to Denver and, and, and playing that pivotal role in Von Miller saving his career from the, from the brink of utter destruction, coming out of that terrible 2013 season in which he was uh, injured and suspended, mm-hmm. getting into 2014. I mean, for those of you who grew up with John Elway posters on your wall, okay, imagine going into the NFL and the guy who shows you the ropes and teaches you and you end up you know, getting the torch passed from him to you was John Elway. That's how it was for Von Miller with DeMarcus Ware. Growing up in Texas, he was a Dallas Cowboys fan. He grew up absolutely idolizing DeMarcus Ware, only to have him end up in Denver. And then it's such a storybook aspect to see that how pivotal he was in terms of Von Miller, not only turning his career around, but the Broncos winning the Super Bowl, him becoming the Super Bowl MVP. So it's very serendipitous in that respect. How perfect is that? How storybook, how Hollywood is that? Mm-hmm. And now he's getting coached by him. Like, you can't write this stuff. So we're optimistic. We have our doubts. You know, we won't be able to see exactly how this arrangement, uh, to answer your question, Chang, exactly how it's going to shake out. But overall, I think both Zach and I can agree that, you know, it's it's we're at least optimistic in the fact that some D-wear is better than no D-wear. So Absolutely. We move on to our second question. I think we'll keep it with two questions for today. It's from... Uh, Friend Jacob Smith, win from now on is how he's got his uh, name titled on Twitter, but it's at JSMileHigh9798. His first question, will we have a Mile High Huddle Fantasy Football League for me to get my revenge? (laughs) Yes, to answer your question, for VIP uh, subscribers, we're going to hold another uh, Fantasy League when we get a little bit closer to the season uh, from VIP and staffers who want to participate. So, yes, we'll uh, we'll hit you up on that. Uh, Second question, what's the best-case scenario lineup for the no-fly zone, Chris Harris Jr. and Bradley Roby should have one and two locked down, even though both can work the slot. 
which Harris is more suited for. But your answer, what's the best case scenario? What's the best lineup in your mind for the no-fly zone, Zach? At corner and safety? Yeah, let's just go through the whole thing. All right, let's do the whole secondary. I think, obviously, Chris Harris Jr. is your number one now with Aqib Tlaib gone. But what's nice about him is he thrives in the slot. So if you can find two good outside corners, that can really allow Chris Harris to do his damage in his wheelhouse. And those two outside corners, by default, are Bradley Roby, your former first-round pick, and their free agent pickup, Tremaine Brock. They're not going to throw Isaac Yottam in the mix yet, the third-round rookie. They have Brendan Langley, who's coming off a brutal rookie campaign. He's not ready yet. So you're going to see a mix of Harris, Roby, and Brock on the field. They run a lot of three-cornerback sets on that defense. In a best-case scenario, you have Roby and Brock locking down the outside and allowing Chris Harris Jr. to work the slot. Safety, I'm not the biggest fan of Darian Stewart, but I think by default, by keeping him in the mix, he will start at safety one of the spots. And, of course, the other one has Justin Simmons locked in there. He's a future pro bowler as far as I'm concerned. A lot of potential with him. Yeah. But Sua Cravens, this was one of the pickups I love the most this offseason. Uh, just a guy who can come in and, and defend the pass. No more will you see Darian Stewart and Todd Davis struggling to keep up with line, with running backs, with tight ends, with wide receivers. That is what Sua Cravens does. So he takes over that Will Parks dimebacker role, and they play a lot of sub packages. So you also see a lot of three safety looks in passing situations. So you'll see a lot of Harris, Roby, and Brock, and a lot of Simmons, Stewart, and Sua Cravens. That is your best-case scenario, your best-case lineup. in the no-fly zone, and let me tell you, there shouldn't be, a lot of fans are freaking out, there shouldn't be that much drop-off after Aqib Tlaib. He's a great corner, don't get me wrong, but they have a lot of talent left in that secondary where they can still thrive and live up to that daunting nickname. True, and Tlaib, you know, he made the Pro Bowl last year, but it was easily his worst season as a Bronco. So there's room for improvement there, as great as Tlaib was during his time. But, you know, Vance Joseph, to answer your question, on, he's already told us, Jacob, what the best-case scenario is, at least at cornerback. And that is that Chris Harris Jr., he's your number one in terms of the hierarchy on the depth chart. But no matter who wins the number two, either Roby or Brock will be the number three. So those are are your top three corners barring injury. And the only thing that I would throw in there as a wrinkle is that you got Justin Simmons, you got Sua Cravens, you got Darian Stewart, you got Will Parks. Now, of all four of those guys that are guaranteed a starting spot, I only see one, and that's Justin Simmons. Now, Darian Stewart's getting paid, right? He's making some money, and so the team's not going to – they're not going to look for reasons to bench him. There would have to be a really strong reason for him to lose his starting spot. But I think Sua Cravens, not right away, but possibly uh, maybe halfway through the season, you could see him take that second role, that other starting job, because my only beef with Darian Stewart is as much as I I really do – dig Darian Stewart, and he came to the Broncos at just the perfect time to really help play his role in, in taking the no-fly zone to that next level and really helping to establish it as the no-fly zone in 2015. But how many times last year did you see Darian Stewart get beat over the top? I mean, Way was, too many. It was too much. And one of the reasons why is he's slowing down. He's getting older. He doesn't have that twitch and that long speed to keep up with guys. And so from a personnel and an X's and O's perspective, the Broncos have to be aware of that. They have to scheme accordingly. They have to manage their depth charts accordingly. And Cravens, the only reason I wouldn't say right now that he's more of a natural shoe-in to start opposite of Simmons as a strong safety is the fact that he's been out of football for a little while. So mm-hmm. it's going to take him some time to get firing on all cylinders. And in the meantime, at least you've got Darian Stewart there who can hold it down but just don't leave him as the single high safety. Don't leave him in a scenario where he's responsible for that deep third. Give it to Justin Simmons, who's got some speed and got some length, because we just can't see the Broncos get beat over the top anymore because Darren Stewart's just too slow to the punch. What's burned in my memory is Stewart getting absolutely roasted over the top by Johnny Holden, the Raiders receiver last yeah, year. Yeah. He was at least five yards away from the ball. It was just a, an awful look. And it was really an eye-opening experience seeing the Broncos get beat deep so often mm-hmm. for long plays, for touchdowns. And that is a big reason why they brought in Sua Cravens. They cannot allow themselves to get beat by the pass with safeties and linebackers who are ill-suited to guard their respective yep. uh, counterparts. So, yeah, that is definitely your best-case scenario. And Darren Stewart, 
I thought they should have got rid of him. I, I was a fan of him. I'm not going to lie. Like you said, he made the no flies on what they were. Right. But four and a half million guaranteed, I don't know. Yeah. That was a, a, a tough bullet to bite for me. Yeah. So I think he'll start based on his salary. He's locked into a position right. now. And one thing that Vance Joseph said is they're going to compete already. It's going to be uh, Stewart and Cravens competing. I think Stewart will win, but you're going to see a lot of Cravens on the field this season. Yep, absolutely. And I agree with you that, you know, you could at least argue the point that Stewart has outlived his usefulness, at least from a value perspective with the Broncos, because one of the things that made his his arrival in Denver uh, as impactful as it was, was the value the Broncos got uh, based on his performance. I mean, they were paying him a couple million bucks on that first contract, and then he comes in and plays at a Pro Bowl level, but he, last year he kind of dropped off. I shouldn't say kind of. He dropped off it's quite definitely. significantly, which is why I agree with you that I was a little bit surprised, you know, in that time after the season when, as as analysts, were trying to kind of forecast and project what some of the off-season moves could be, some of the surprise cuts. Obviously, Tlaib was really high on that list, and he ended up being one of the trades the Broncos shipped him off. But Darian Stewart was another guy that was high on the list, but ultimately he still had, yeah, as far as the dead money, I don't have it in front of me, um, exact numbers but I think that the bottom line for the Broncos not moving on from Stewart wasn't necessarily their belief in him as a player but rather the penalty they would pay on the salary cap for uh, just outright cutting him and one last point on uh, Stewart I think in 2015 he looked so attractive was because opposite him you had TJ Ward who is a pure run defender. So Stewart looked better in coverage by default. And now Justin Simmons is the better athlete. He's younger, he's quicker, he has more explosion. So that's why I think you're seeing a drop-off between Stewart and Simmons versus Stewart and TJ Ward. So yeah. uh, he's locked in for one more year, but I think he's definitely not the long-term answer. And hopefully, like you said, Cravens, who had a concussion last year, he briefly retired and came back to football. If he can stay healthy, he can be a long-term answer at safety for the Broncos. Wouldn't surprise me if Justin Simmons ended up as one of the team captains this year. So no, not at all. Just keep keep an eye on that situation. But uh, let's move on to a couple other things. We we got the mailbag under our belts, obviously. Let's let's talk about some of the storylines, or at least one key storyline that emerged out of OTAs, and it's one that's very interesting to me. Was Vance Joseph's decision to publicly call out the first year wideout Carlos Henderson? I say first year, you guys because he did not play last year, which even though he's heading into his second season as a pro, it's technically his first year. But anyway, Henderson, of course, missed the whole rookie year with the thumb injury, and heading into this, his second offseason training program, he's mostly been missing in action. And we found out that he's been dealing with a hamstring that's kind of flared up on him, which has caused him to miss multiple practices. And then Coach Joseph, publicly, he lets us know, yeah, it's a hamstring. Then he says, quote, it started in phase two and hasn't got better. He's got to get back on the field if he wants to make this football team. Close quote. Mm. Now, you wrote about this, Zach, but the reason this is interesting is because, A, Henderson is a 2017 third-round investment. That's what he represents. And, B, it's not often that you see a coach publicly kind of call out a player who's injured. Now, we all know the injury bug is the great leveler. It's no respecter of persons. It can strike at any time. For VJ to come out and say what he did, calling Henderson's future into question and his his place on the team, I don't think that was a slip of the tongue. I think VJ was trying to motivate this kid, Zach, trying to to reach him somehow, because you can't make the club from the tub, right? We've heard that a million times. We've heard availability is the best ability, right? All those cliches. But what do you make of VJ's comments? And do you believe, Zach, as some fans do, you just take a look at my Twitter mentions that. The coach was out of line pressuring an injured player to risk further injury by rushing back to the field. First of all, I kind of call out Vance Joseph for the way he's handled some injured players. And that started with Shane Ray. And I wrote about this a couple times and I put it on Twitter. If This is way off topic with Shane Ray, but it, it, it pertains to Carlos Henderson. If he was injured, Shane Ray, if he had a sore wrist, which he admitted it bothered him throughout the whole course of the offseason, why was he practicing? They held out four or five other injured players. Why not hold Shane Ray out for voluntary, non-contact, otherwise meaningless practices? So he, and then he follows that up by wanting to make an injured player get back on the field who has a hamstring injury. And hamstrings are one of the most notoriously nagging injuries in all of sports. 
It is so tough to come back from. And unless you give it the proper time to heal and rest, you're going to re-aggravate it and make it worse. Why get him on the field now when it's minicamp is over and they have a six-week break? But aside from that, I think it was a, a public way of motivating him. Mm-hmm. You could not script a worse start for Carlos Henderson. Mm-hmm. This his entire rookie year with injury. Then he gets popped for marijuana in January. Now he's missing all practice time with a hamstring injury. He was a third-round pick. They wanted him to contribute as a, a juice guy. They wanted to add some juice on offense, juice on specials. Didn't work mm-hmm. out. I think it was Joseph's way of really motivating him in a roundabout way to get back on the field and earn his spot on the 53. Competition is the name of the game right now in Dove Valley, and they have a lot of other receivers. They drafted Cortland Sutton. They drafted Deshaun Hamilton. That was an indictment to me on mm-hmm. Henderson and Isaiah McKenzie. Yep. So uh, they have receivers waiting in the wings. Those four are locks along with Demarius and Emmanuel. Um, it was a way to motivate him, I think. It was a way to publicly send a message to him and get back on the field, earn your place here. I don't know if it was the right thing to do because he was injured, and you can't blame him for getting injured. Hamstrings are just a pain in the butt. Um, I think that's what Joseph was going for is to, is to say, listen, you have to step up or risk getting cut, shape up or get sh- shipped out. He's definitely trying to motivate the kid, and I think he's also trying to say that, listen, you know, injury is what it is, but you got to toughen up a little bit sometimes. And again, it's it's OTAs, which is why he wasn't being forced onto the field, okay? There wasn't more pressure being put on him internally. But once they get to training camp in the preseason and roster battles are being decided, I mean, you NFL players do it, you guys, on a day-in and day-out basis. Fight through pain, fight through injury. And unless it's literally something that makes it impossible for you to um, execute your job, I mean, players, they understand that if they're not on the field, even if they're hurt, they're going to, and it's not always in their best interest long term, but they're going to fight through the pain, right? They're going to get out on the field because they're so paranoid about losing their, their place in the sun. They're so either paranoid about losing a starting job or at least their place on the roster. And I think it's some of these football realities that have yet to dawn on Carlos Henderson. And we cannot you know, question why. We don't really know. But obviously, this kid is still acclimating to life as a pro if he's having to be told by Vance Joseph, whether publicly or privately, that, listen, you can't make the, the team if you're injured. I think there's enough room there to possibly assume that the Broncos aren't completely convinced that this guy couldn't go. I mean, that's just my own opinion. doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I'm not saying I've been told that because I haven't. This kid, though, it's just such a shame, Zach, because yeah, he's is. such a talent. Like, he was just a tackle-breaking machine in college. He had really good hands. I mean, he, he, he could do so much for this team, but he's the quintessential example of how measurables are great. You know, what you can do with the ball in your hand, that's all great. But what you have between the ears oftentimes mm-hmm. – determines the guys who flame out and bust from some of these practice squad guys and undrafted guys that go on to have Pro Bowl caliber careers. And just ask Paxton Lynch that. But I wonder if behind the scenes, maybe he's kind of being lax, Carlos Henderson. Maybe he's not showing enough in the facility practice what we don't see. Maybe he's right. not showing it. But I wonder how John Elway felt about Joseph's comments. This was a third-round mm-hmm. draft pick by Elway in a draft class that right. Elway – projects to contribute this year right and they drafted him out of a very small school louisiana tech he they knew it was going to be a project and you can't blame him for being on ir last year this was a a bad situation i just wonder how that comment was received when they a few months ago vance joseph said that they're depending on henderson to contribute in the slot as a number three guy and now they're saying he might not make the team it's Mm -hmm. kind of a an all or nothing feast or famine situation there. So yeah. I, I don't know how that was received in the organization, but it was definitely a message being sent to Henderson that you there's a better guys on the depth chart now and your roster spot is definitely not secure. That's a great point. You know, all of a sudden this additional pressure is being put on a guy who represents a third round investment, uh, barely a year old, right? So you do have to wonder exactly whether or not uh, that was something that VJ did off the cuff in a sense where he didn't get approval from VJ or uh, from Elway or what. But, I mean, bottom line is there's 13 receivers on the roster right now counting the injured Jordan Taylor. And, I mean, competition is rife. you got guys like Tim Patrick who no one saw coming, just completely balling out during OTAs and the two rookies, which you already mentioned. So, 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the demand for those roster spots is going to be high this year. And if he doesn't find a way to get over whatever's holding him back, I mean, he's got six weeks, so let's at least look at the upshot, upshot on this. He's got an opportunity to get better. We'll see how it shakes out. Now, here in just a second, Zach and I, we're going to share our main takeaways from Broncos OTAs. But first, let us holler at you about why you got to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Because, listen, our approach to covering the Broncos – We're not just about reporting the news, although we pride ourselves, you guys, on being able to relate to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. Right now, that breaking news, it's pretty slim to none, right? So what we're going to focus on even more in the coming six weeks is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether that's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, and as you've probably figured out and seen on the site coming out of the draft, we're continuing to break down on film the 2018 draft class. But listen, we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers. And to become a Mile High Huddle VIP and to get 100% access to our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. You click the monthly or the annual option, whichever is easier for you, whatever you want to do, but then you're locked in. And from there, you get access to everything we produce which includes any insider info that we pick up along the way. And we work hard to bring you guys the best coverage of the Denver Broncos on the web. And we ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. So you pull the trigger. You have our word. You will not be disappointed. All right, so the Broncos, of course, completed their offseason training program. You got phase one, two, and three. Now in the books, OTAs uh, gave the Broncos 12 practices per league rules. And while we can't make actually that's 13 practices now that i think about it or is it 12 i think it's 12 yeah it is 12 yeah uh anyway very finite amount of practices that they can execute during the off season and so while we can't make any you know season defining predictions based on otas there is plenty that we can glean from what took place now zach and i will go through and we'll share what we believe are three key takeaways from OTAs. And Zach, why don't you start us off? Well, for one, and something I just kind of touched on with Henderson, was a different Vance Joseph in his sophomore year. This is a guy who was brought back, I believe, by the skin of his teeth. There was a case that they should fire him last year after his eight-game losing streak and finishing 5-11. and I think he's really out to prove that he can be this leader of men. You're seeing a different persona with him. He's a little more rigid. Um, he's taking commands a little more, being a little more assertive. And I think he heard the call from John Elway that to step up and be that leader, the reason they hired him. And, and you saw that with, with the Henderson thing where he kind of made a statement. If he went out on a limb and he took that into his own hands, he's showing his superiors that this is my team still I'm the coach yep. and I want to kind of make a case with my players so and I'm not saying that it's going to make any difference he even said himself Joseph that the wins and losses will determine his fate in the fall that's what's going to come down to if he can make the playoffs he's guaranteed to be around another year if they have another losing season I think he's gone but so far from what we've seen in practice you're seeing a much different Joseph not only in coaching the players but also addressing the media he just strikes me as much more assertive uh, trying to be a little more dominant just as a real hard-nosed head coach and not so much of a players coach yeah second I absolutely well, let, me, let me just say something on that real quick Zach before you sure. jump to your second one I agree with you that he seems to have a little bit more of an edge to him, right? Like when he's when he's talking, he's got I don't know, he's just got kind of an edgy an edgy energy about yeah, he him. Does. Um, and then the other thing that we've heard more than one player say is that, and, and these are guys who've been around uh, who were here last year to see what Vance Joseph was like as a first year head coach, but saying this year that he has a sense of urgency. And that he's actually in the trenches, rolling up his sleeves, coaching on a on a one on one basis. Whereas last year he was more of a you know the ten thousand feet guy, just kind of making sure things were running smooth. But now you're actually seeing him in the trenches, coaching alongside his assistants. So interesting developments from VJ. Well, I don't. On one, on more point on Joseph, I don't put too much stock into what's said in May and June. This is sunshine season. This is rainbows and and unicorns. So it's it all will be determined in the fall, and yeah, it's not right. going to matter unless they win. And um, it, he's still on the hot seat. Let's not change anything here. He there's no more excuses left for him. 
He picked his own coaching staff. They've upgraded the roster at all their key spots. It's left for him to sink or swim on his own volition. So that's what I've seen from him so far. But he's definitely, like you said, he has more of an edge to him, a little more of a of a stronger demeanor. Uh, my second takeaway, though, I, I love these rookie wide receivers. I cannot say enough about Sutton and Hamilton. Uh, Sutton, especially, this was a guy who was a first-round talent. They got him at number 40 overall. I love the pick when they made it, and thus far on the field, he's done nothing but own this Broncos secondary. Again, it's OTAs, it's non-contact practices, they're very walkthrough type team drills, but you're having Sutton completely moss Bradley Roby, Brennan Langley. He's owning this secondary, and he's just making those high point, 50-50 type catches, highlight real plays, and it's so encouraging to see because of the uncertainty with Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Next year, they're getting up there in age, they're very expensive, and to have two day one receivers ready to take over who are clones of Thomas and Sanders in Sutton and and, uh, and Hamilton, it's just terrific to see so far. Both those guys will contribute significantly in year one. Uh, I love what I've seen from them so far, and you cannot have enough weapons for Case Keenum. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, Sutton has been the star of OTAs, and again, take it for what it's worth, it's OTAs, but the early returns on Sutton and and Hamilton as well, but especially Sutton, is that of all the second-round picks John Elway's made in the last five years, this is the one that seems like the real deal. Yeah, it's the sure thing. And the jury's still out on Demarcus Walker. I think he'll have a good season. Um, but one, based, you know, speaking of that, my third takeaway from OTAs is competition, competition, competition. There are so many roster battles right now taking place, and they're letting it develop in a training camp, which is the no-brainer move. But you have it at quarterback with Lynch and Kelly, running back with those three running backs, receiver, tight end, cornerback, uh, mm-hmm. d- uh, safety, inside linebacker with Josie Jewell, defensive line when you have Shelby Harris, Wolf, Gotsis, and Walker, it can only make the Broncos better, and they're really allowing all those players to push each other and the best players to play, and that's very smart on Joseph's part, and he's not letting anyone um, fly by the seat of their pants. He's not letting anyone just start based on reputation or past experience. They're really preaching competition, and it's only going to make the team as a whole better, so I like what I've seen from that so far. I mean, these guys are on notice, right? I mean, there's small handful of guys who aren't on notice, Von Miller, Chris Harris, Derek Wolf, I'm a, you know, Case Keenum obviously. A uh, couple other guys maybe. Everybody that's else a, That's about it. on notice. And you know, you go you think back to the Peyton Manning years, right? Like there was f- 3 to 5 actual roster spots up for grabs at the very bottom of the roster. Most of the depth charts were pre-decided before you even got to training camp because it was a veteran team built to compete and contend uh, where they were leaving very little up to chance. And and Peyton Manning was able to do so much of the heavy lifting for most of those years that it could make up for maybe some of the lack of attention that uh, the team had at the bottom of the roster. They didn't have to lean on their youth quite as much, whereas this year coming off two consecutive seasons of missing the playoffs and, of course, the most recent of 5-11 and 11, I mean, it is all about competition, and they are churning this this roster. And the young guys now have just as big of an opportunity to make an impact and make a name for themselves as some of the veterans who've been around for several years. So I got to agree with you that the competition aspect and that storyline is going to be something very interesting to see how it even gets cranked up in training camp. For me, uh, three takeaways, run through them pretty quick here. Number one, is and Zach, you touched on it with the receivers, but the number one thing for me, I mean, this rookie class continues to at least appear that they are the real deal. I mean, first round pick Bradley Chubb has been dominating fools. Okay, he's dominating uh, the first, and now you got to keep in mind that Jared Velder has been playing right tackle. We'll talk more about that here in just a few minutes, but he has been dominating his opponents and completely wrecking Bill Musgrave and Case Keenum's attempt to you know, operate their offense and install their system. I mean, he's just been an absolute freak. And then on the second and third team, you have the other rookie, the undrafted kid, Jeff Holland, also dominating. And and Joe Woods saying that he's absolutely blowing people away, to quote him there. So just on the defensive side of the ball, very exciting. And, of course, at the edge rusher position, we've, we've talked a lot about that tonight, but good to see those two guys. You get to the receivers. I think we've said enough there. You look at Josie Jewell, who has earned props from multiple, multiple 
veterans. And you just go down the line. We haven't had a chance yet to see Troy Fumagalli because he's coming off some stuff. But from front to back, I mean, this is looking like a rookie class that is coming in that can compete and contribute right out of the gates. And that's what the Broncos need this time. The Broncos, unfortunately, due to the last couple of years, they are in a position where they have to be able to rely on their depth and their youth. They, they were in that situation last year, and as we saw, the 2017 class was found wanting. I don't think you're going to see that this year, Zach, with this, the 2018 class. I think you're going to see these guys step in and really make a contribution. I said it before, and I'll say it again. This was John Elway's best draft haul as Broncos GM. And I don't think it's particularly close. You have a mix of day one contributors, steals like Chubb and Sutton, and also long-term successors at corner, at inside linebacker, at tight end with Fumagalli. Uh, David Williams, a running back. Uh, they have Sam Jones, the guard, who can maybe be a starting caliber guard in the future. Uh, front to back, like you said, it was he knocked it out of the park, John Elway. And they're going to have depth at certain spots, which was killing them last year, especially at receiver, when they were dying for someone to step up mm-hmm. as a number three. They used Benny Fowler, Jordan Taylor, C- Cody Latimer. Uh, they didn't have anyone. They had Hunter Sharp at one point playing number three wide receiver. Now they have Cortland Sutton and Hamilton. Both those guys would start on another NFL team or be a number three at worst. So I think uh, the depth is by far their biggest attribute from this rookie class. And you're going to see a lot of instant contributors, like you said. Number two for me is the realization that Case Keenum has already established himself as a leader. And we heard from him the day he got to Denver was introduced that he's quote, looking forward to uh, the opportunity to, you know, or to earn the opportunity. I think it was to be a leader. And we have seen that happen in virtually no time flat. The entire offense is responding to him. Demarius Thomas talked about this kind of weird, awkward transition phase where he was kind of expecting himself, DT, to kind of be showing uh, Keenum the ropes. And they got to a huddle and they were about to call play. And Keenum said, and DT went to start speaking. And Keenum kind of stopped and said, No, I got this. I got this. And DT was like, Sweet. Finally, you know, two years post Peyton where he's kind of had to step up and be that vocal leader. That's not his game. He's he's notoriously a shy, introverted person. Yeah, his and the doubting Thomas uh, 30 for 30, I think it was ESPN did. His own father talks about how cripplingly shy DT is. So for him, uh, he can he can lead by example. That's no problem. But for him to be that rah-rah guy and to step in and kind of take command, that's never been his bag. And Emmanuel Sanders, he can't do that for the offense. He's, a, he's been too much of a diva guy. I don't think guys take him very seriously, just to be frank with you. It has to come from the quarterback position, and we're seeing it with Keenum. Now, it hasn't been perfect. I mean, number one, they're going against the Broncos' defense, which is still loaded with talent. And number two, they're all learning a new offense. There's some common themes left over from last year, but mostly, and Bill Musgrave has said this multiple occasions now, the, he completely installed a new offense – Uh, which, speaking to that, and then I want to get your take, Zach, it's a more player-friendly offense. So that's going to allow guys to hit the ground running and assimilate this new install and this new playbook a lot more quickly to where it becomes second nature, where they're not thinking on the field. Last year, I mean, Chad Kelly told us, I don't know if he was supposed to say this, but during an appearance he made on draft night uh, on Denver Radio, he said that one of Mike Mike McCoy's playbook had over 1,000 plays in it, okay, Absolutely ridiculous. They would practice plays knowing full well many of them would never get put into into the game plan. And then they would run plays on game day that they had not practiced. It was just a completely helter-skelter approach offensively. There's a reason it didn't work. There's a reason he got fired. But you're not seeing from what the guys are talking about, the calls, the verbiage. You're not seeing long encyclopedic type of play calls. It's a, it's, it's a system that Musgrave, who's very smart, very savvy as a former quarterback himself, has made knowing that, look, even though this is my second year, you know, let's call it, I guess it's his first year as a full-time offensive coordinator, but he's wanting, knowing that he's having to install a new system, to make this as easy on his players as possible, which is great because Gary Kubiak's system was not player-friendly. Mike McCoy's system was not player-friendly. So you're, you're seeing the guys – struggle a little bit in terms of picking up the offense but I think once you get into training camp the the install and the the teaching part of it is done now and so you're going to see guys spend this next six weeks while they're on vacation you know nosing the playbook a little bit to just kind of solidify what they've learned 
get to training camp, and you're not going to see players thinking so much. And I think, Zach, that's going to be a huge asset for the Broncos. Yeah, based on everything we heard, Mike McCoy's playbook was like a cheesecake factory menu. It was just it was just way too thick. It was way too many plays, and it was not being uh, digested easily from the Broncos players. Um, but that's what Bill Musgrave wants to do. Last year, he couldn't retool the system. He kind of just pared down the playbook. He didn't overhaul it. And now he's putting in his own plays, his own schemes, and it's going to help the whole offense, not just the quarterback. Now with Keenum. We mentioned competition, how how good it is for the rest of the team. But the one area where it's so n- nice not to see competition mm. is starting quarterback. Yep. Finally, to have that guy settled going into training camp, not having it last through the preseason, and not giving that quarterback reps with the first team and letting him build chemistry. And speaking of chemistry, Keenum is holding that passing camp with Thomas, with Sanders. They've already started to gel, and it's so encouraging to see. And that's one thing the Broncos really, really liked about Keenum in Minnesota was that he came into a very uh, risky situation and not a favorable situation you know, from Teddy Bridgewater, from Sam Bradford, and he rallied that team to one game within the Super Bowl. Yep. And he's not the most talent, um, high upside. He's not a pro bowler. He's not a Peyton Man, you know, Tom Brady. They don't need that. They need a stable hand who doesn't turn the ball over, can make plays, survive in the pocket, and lead his, this offense. They had no leadership on offense the last couple of years. Simeon was not a leader. Lynch wasn't a leader. Your best leader was probably C.J. Anderson, and that's yeah. not saying much. Yeah. Uh, so to have someone like Case Keenum, just his presence alone in that huddle, like you mentioned with that anecdote with Thomas, yep. it's going to help them tremendously. And not only that, but his physical talent. He can make plays. You can win on the arm of Case Keenum. He is not Trevor Simeon. Uh, <laughs> so it was a, a great pickup. They saved some money there by not going after Kirk Cousins. They zeroed in on Case Keenum. They got their man, and it's they feel like his best ball is ahead of him. He's only 30. And he, this is his first real starting gig now, and they feel like he can just is scraping, you know, the tip of the iceberg here. So it's a right. great pickup, and I've loved what I've seen so far. The real test will come when the bulls start flying, uh, but nothing but encouraging beginning so far for Keenum and the Broncos. That's right. He's still young enough. I mean, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but he's young enough that if he just gets in here and dominates, and you know, as Zach said, he doesn't have to be an All Pro, but if he if the Broncos win and he plays at an above-average level. He's a guy who could be Denver's long-term quarterback. Doesn't have to be Chad Kelly. Doesn't have to be Paxton Lynch. He's young enough that he could play in Denver another 10 years. That's the truth. So, you know, we can't get that far ahead of ourselves and expect that. But agreed. I mean, John Gruden told him coming out of college, Keenum, you're going to be okay. And I think we're starting to see that that prophecy, if you will, that football prophecy uh, begin to come true. Now, one last topic, and then we're going to get out of here, is, again, we got six weeks, basically. Uh, Zach reported uh, a couple days ago that the Broncos are expected to report for training camp July 27th. Gives us about six weeks. Meanwhile, it's also an opportunity for some of these guys who've been banged up, many of whom did not participate hardly at all during OTAs, to get on the mend, heal up, convalesce, be ready to rock and roll. So as a quick update of the injury report, heading into the the dog days of the NFL summer and kind of what we can expect to start training camp, let's run through these real quick, Zach. Jared Veldir, obviously the Broncos acquired via trade, big right tackle, definitely expected to be ready for camp. And from listening to what Vance Joseph has said, like there's no question he's absolutely the starting right tackle. Yeah, there's no one. They had Billy Turner there, and but it's not. It's just a placeholder. To, Jared Veldier, when healthy, is a top 20 tackle in the NFL. And the only reason he was held out was a precaution. Same with a couple other players that we'll mention in just a second here. Yeah. Um, that ankle injury hurt him. It ended his season last year, but he'll be good to go for training camp. He is locked in as a right tackle, and he is a massive, massive upgrade on Stevenson and Menelik Watson. He said himself that he's 100% healthy, so this is all precautionary. Broncos just playing it safe. And then uh, Ron Leary's been with him. He's experienced some knee soreness, which we saw also last year uh, during his time as a Bronco in the early, uh, you know, in the, in the offseason and summer, just a little bit of knee soreness. So the Broncos just being cautious. Also expected Leary to be ready for training camp. But one quick note, no official decision, according to Bill Musgrave, on whether he's going to actually move to left guard or if he's going to stay at right guard that decision hasn't quite been made i think it's made i think they're just kind of playing coy with it he'll play left guard that's his natural spot and not only it's his natural spot but he helps out garrett bowles 
and yep. helping him in a big year two for him, having a stable guy next to him, uh, probably a Pro Bowl caliber guard uh, right alongside him. So I think he'll play left guard, and um, I think he'll be do very well there. He was probably their best offensive lineman in 2017. Yeah, absolutely could be a huge asset for Bowles and, and could really help facilitate Bowles making a quantum leap in year two. Uh, next, we have Jordan Taylor. Not a whole lot to say here. He's still recovering from bilateral hip surgery. Uh, not expected back until basically halfway through camp. So he's in a situation, Zach, obviously, though, where his roster spot is very much in jeopardy. I think it comes down to him versus Isaiah McKenzie. They're going to keep six on the 53, four are locks, and you have three guys competing for two spots, Henderson, Taylor, and McKenzie. I think Henderson, even though he was called out, he's a third-round pick. They'd be really dumb to cut a third-round pick in his second season and not having him play the snap yet. So I think Jordan Taylor's spot is in serious jeopardy. Keep an eye out on the dark horse, Tim Patrick, who has been – there's some guys I've talked to who have been gushing about him. So just keep an eye on him. Uh, Carlos Henderson, we've talked about him already. I think enough said. He's, his prognosis is unclear, but mm-hmm. it is a hammy, so I think we can expect him to be ready to go for camp, but he's definitely under the gun. Now, Demarius Thomas, he had a little foot tweak, uh, but he is expected to be ready to go for camp. But you wrote the piece on that, Zach. Much has been made, and obviously because he's been kind of beat up and he's the star player, but he's fine. If this was a game week, he'd practice, he'd play. Yeah. No concern there. They held him out. He didn't have to practice. It was meaningless. He will be good to go for camp, and he's locked in as a starter. Now, one that's a little bit more convoluted, a little bit more interesting, is Clinton McDonald, the free agent acquisition, the big defensive lineman formerly of the Tampa Bay and uh, Seattle Seahawks. But he's been dealing with a shoulder. He had an offseason procedure He's expected to be ready to go for camp, but very recently made the news wire because he accepted a pay cut uh, and restructured his deal in order to make it all back through playing time incentives uh, due to his injuries. I think the Broncos didn't realize quite how injured he was or how much time he would need to recover, but what have you heard on that front? They knew about his injury when they signed him in free agency, and he had a a shoulder procedure in March. It was a corrective procedure. It wasn't a major thing, uh, but they did slash his salary by $3 million. He'll be able to make back two if he makes the 46-man roster and $1 million if he makes the 53-man roster, three in total. So he will make the team if he's healthy. It was a good pickup for them, a very under-the-radar pickup because he's an interior pass rusher. He's had something like 10 sacks in three seasons, and from a defensive tackle, that's big for them they need a a guy who can push the pocket so if he's healthy and he'll be ready for camp he will make the roster he will collect his money back Uh, but right now he's still coming off shoulder surgery and it's still uh, kind of a little touch and go yeah it's it's still up in the air a little bit but I think we can still be optimistic and then the last three I'll just run through these Troy Fumagalli we've touched on he's overcoming a sports hernia Uh, he's expected to be good to go Shane Ray we all know the story there likely to miss the first couple of games recovering from surgery on his wrist. And then lastly, the real uh, unfortunate turn uh, of the offseason program was depth linebacker Deontrez Mount tearing his, rupturing his Achilles and being lost for the season. But that about wraps it up as far as the injury report. One guy to keep in mind, though, with Mount's injury is Joseph Jones at linebacker. That's a very guy, uh, under-the-radar guy right now who's making his bones on special teams, and he might not make the final roster, but if he can impress the coaching staff, he can earn a place on the practice squad. So keep in mind Joseph Jones' name. Keep an eye on that guy, Joseph Jones. Keep an eye on Tim Patrick. And uh, But I think that's going to do it for today. We're coming up with stuff to, that we're going to talk about during the offseason, so stay with us. We have some exciting stuff cooking. We're going to go around the horn probably and uh, check in on our brethren in the AFC West with some experts in uh, those respective cities, so stay tuned for that. But you can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. As always, the best way to get a direct response from us, hit us up on the MHH Insiders VIP message board. But when it comes to Twitter, Facebook, we're always going to try to engage with you as often as we can on social media. And and we've been flirting with the idea, we've talked about this before, of doing some live shows on YouTube. We're slowly working toward that. If you want it to happen, leave a comment. Let us know somehow, whether it's comments or social media. But again, another reminder, a call to action. Support Mile High Huddle. Become a VIP subscriber. And speaking of subbing, make sure you're doing so to the podcast, y'all. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle.
If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-800-941-2358 to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50 plus, for LGBTQ patients who wish to seek treatment without worry of stigmas, a confidential program for first responders and military, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-800-941-2358. 800-941-2358. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. 